time our children will go to children's church and uh, Paul will meet in the back and make sure you get to that special place where you'll learn about God and out of his word. Uh, Brand does a great job uh, with announcements and kind of getting us all warmed up to what's happening at Grace Hills Church. do want to make a couple of comments uh, in relationship to some things that we haven't talked about as well as one thing he did. Uh, the the uh, phone directory is not just for members. In fact, if you have been coming regularly, your name will be in there, all right? And uh, and so we want you to take that home. If you're into telemarketing, it's a great opportunity to take that and call people at dinner time. No, but just the opportunity just to uh, maybe have uh, op- uh, ways to connect with people that you've seen and you need to um, converse with. And so anybody who would like one, take one in the back. And if they, they run out today, we'll have more uh, next Lord's Day. Also, uh, this is a Sunday in which we're starting some other things. If, if you notice in your bulletin, there is a uh, booklet like that. You've seen that? Is that in there? Okay, some of you have been wondering if there's only one book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. All right, there is another book, and we uh, we started you reading through this devotionally, and we've now started a new reading in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you haven't been regularly doing PTLs with God, personal times with God, this is a great opportunity to start in a fresh way. And what we do as we begin each book is that we give you a, kind of an outline or a background to the book. So we'll give you a little bit of uh, information to understand the context of the book. And so I encourage you to read that. And then we begin uh, this week, uh, five di- days during the week, as we look at uh, short sections going, reading through the, the text. As we put in your booklets, when you look at studying the Bible, really there's three steps, and actually there's probably a fourth step, is understanding what the Bible says. You don't have to go to Bible school or seminary uh, to be able to understand the Bible. The, the, th- the four steps, and this is the one we've added, is number one, who is, it, who is it being written to or the context? So partly the reason we give you this introduction is for you to ask that question. Who is writing to who and, and what's, the, what's the relevance to the audience and understanding the context? So you might want to understand that to begin with, and this kind of is a help for that. Then the next three steps are simply what does it say, um, what does it mean, and how does it apply? The observation text, uh, the step, the interpretation step, and the application step. So if you've never had a time where you've read the Bible on a personal level, and if you have, we encourage you as a church family to, to make this a habit. And the other thing we're beginning this week is the challenge that you would take one of those days, and it could be uh, Friday, which we focus on praying for your family and your friends, is whoever you do life with, whoever you're living with, uh, take time and share that scripture together. Let's, let's read that section together. Let's answer those questions and just relate to one another. God wants us to bring our faith uh, not only into our own heart, but particularly in our homes and then spread out into the marketplace and live out what we really believe. So I encourage you this week uh, to spend some time in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, reading through it, making some observations of the text. Uh, we can use some helpful questions, we think, on that and, and then uh, sharing that with others. So that's, that's the challenge of this week as, as, we, as we move on. Now, we've, uh, we've prayed quite a bit about this, this service already, but just to get my mind together, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time before we look in His Word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for the privilege of being a place where we can uh, be students of, of the, the living God. Uh, the Bible talks about in the New Testament that we are called to be disciples, and what a disciple is is a follower or a learner. And whether we are hearing uh, new truth or whether we're hearing old truth to refresh our hearts and minds, Father, we just want to be open to what you have to say to us. 
Father, we don't want to uh, listen to a, a, a human a viewpoint, but we want to take what's from your word and uh, wrestle with our lives. Give us hope and encouragement as well as challenge, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. So if you do have your Bibles, we, we are still in the first book of the Old Testament as we encourage you to read the, the first book in the New Testament beginning this week. Uh, and we also, in case I didn't emphasize that, we do give you some helps on on prayer and some things to, to, to broaden your prayer life with God as well. Uh, but if you uh, have a Bible near you, turn to Genesis chapter 28, and we are again looking at how God works in the lives of people. And, and that's one of the best ways to understand how God wants to work in your life. If you can see it lived out in flesh, uh, not only with those who do it well, but also at times when they struggle with it, it kind of speaks into your own life. And as you look at the main characters, particularly in the Old Testament, beginning of the book of Genesis, you have uh, from the male gender, you have Adam, and then you have uh, Abraham, no, Adam, and then you have Noah, and then you have Abraham, Isaac, and uh, we're looking pretty quickly into the life of Jacob this morning. Uh, but as we look at that, there, there comes a place, and this is true in every one of our lives, where we've got to decide on our own where we are with God. We can be raised in a, in a family that had no interest in spiritual things. And we could be raised in a family that was um, overly zealous as, as it relates to uh, uh, church and churchianity. Uh, and it could be somewhere in between. And, and there comes a point where we need to realize that not only as we live now, we have to make those decisions about where we are with God. But there's going to come a time where we'll face God um, face-to-face, and we will have to give an account as to what we did with the truth about him that we heard and either chose to respond to in obedience and faith or to reject. Um, and so this morning we're going to be looking at uh, being on your own. And, you know, there's a kind of a relative definition of that as well because there are times when we are totally alone, there's nobody around us, and then there are various times where we are relatively alone. We've uh, talked about the couples retreat as a, as a new family begins. It's a husband and wife, and, and there's no little critters walking around. And then if God gives the fruit, there might be that first child that comes. And then if God gives additional fruit, there might be that second child or third child or fourth child or whatever it might be. Well, I was reading this this past week about this one particular family and uh, it had a large, they had a large family. They had five siblings, three sisters, and two brothers. And here was the conversation that went on. One night I was chatting with my mom about how she had changed as a mother from the first child to the last. She told me she had mellowed a lot over the years. When your oldest sister coughed and sneezed, I called the ambulance. When your youngest brother swallowed a dime, I just told him it was coming out of his allowance. <laughs> And I can relate to that between the first child and the fourth child. You just, it just changes when all of a sudden, you know, it's not just one child. There are multiple children in the home. And you just, it just, you just treat them a little bit differently than you did when they first came on the scene. But also remember, as far as going through life, that uh, there was a time before I was married. And I had a lot of choices and decisions to make as I went through life. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that speaks not only to those who are married, but also to those who are not married, to those who are still on um, the condition that in which we are brought into this world. We're all brought into this world single, I believe. I think no one was married at uh, infant, infancy. 
And so we're going to see how God challenges the life as it is lived. And so hopefully that we all see, no matter where you are in your journey, maybe even if, if you are still investigating the spiritual life, or whether you've been down that path a long time, or whether you're concerned about yourself or the other members of your family, that you, you, might, you might be challenged by what has happened in the past for God to speak to us now in the present. On your own. What we have now in, in this story is, is Jacob is, um, has, has now, with the help of his mom, created some circumstances in which he needs, to, he needs to flee. He needs to run from where he's at. But actually, God providentially has allowed all this to happen because God wants to impress on Jacob that if he's going to be the man of God that he wants him to be, then he's going to need to make the right choice now. And so this morning we're going to see some things that we need to remember as we go through life. And we we make those decisions that are left to us to have convictions over. What are we going to do with them? And we're going to be influenced by others. And in the men's breakfast this last uh, Saturday, we were talking about it's so easy to drift. But also sometimes we can draft others who are following God in a more intimate, personal way, and, and we can kind of follow their path, or at least their words of instruction. And, and this is what we have here, as Isaac turns the page a little bit and becomes a father who begins to give spiritual instructions to his son. And picking up the story in Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, we have this statement. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban and your mother's brother. May God Almighty, and that's the phrase if you've ever heard the song, El Shaddai. May El Shaddai, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be in assemblies of peoples. At this particular point in time, and this is where we need to look at it from kind of a two-pronged approach, is that Jacob is single. And now he is contemplating entering to, into that new stage of life as being married. Now, he, he could follow his brother's experience where he had, he had taken two, not only just one wife, but two wives from the, the land in which they were, And these were wives, women, who had no interest in the spiritual things of the true God. And all hell really broke loose in terms of the relationships between the extended families. And at that point, we don't know really where Jacob was at with this. And so Isaac purposely says, I want you to understand it is important for you to make this choice well. In fact, so much so that I'm sending you not just a little away, but... 400 miles away for you to find a woman of faith. Now, what what I want to make is a a straightforward point this morning. This is is a crucial choice. And and as we understand from the New Testament, it it broadens our understanding of of God's will for us in this area. And, And I would put it this way. When you marry... It is more important, who you marry is more important than when or even if you marry. And I want to make this you know, very, very clear. 
It is not God's will for everyone to be married. And if you're single this morning, you, you are not somehow out of God's will. If you, if you were single this morning, it doesn't mean that somehow you are less than anybody else. And, and there's really a whole chapter in the New Testament that speaks to that. And we're only going to look at a couple of verses out of that chapter. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, you know, it's actually, I wish all of you were like me, single and have no other responsibilities than just know God and try to please Him. If you were single this morning, and it doesn't mean that down the road you might not get married, but whether you never get married or whether you're single now, it is a good place to be in. There are things, freedoms that you have that that you will never have once you make that step. (laughs) Once you get married, everything changes. And so it it is is so important for you to remember. As you're on your own, it's, it's who you marry that's much more important than when or if you marry. It's crucial that way. Have you, have you been kind of tracking what's been happening recently that's kind of hit the, the pages as far as what's happening there in the dating world today and, and some of the abuses of that? Uh, Monte, Monte Teo and his whole experience kind of brought to, to light some of the things that are happening here. I was, I was giving Brandon a bad time because I knew about... Um, about uh, some things that he didn't wear, was aware of, the whole idea of, of catfishing. Anybody aware of catfishing? Uh, I said, come on, Brandon, you've got to get with the culture, all right? But anyway, uh, you know, catfishing actually became popular with an MTV show uh, a couple years ago, and it's become kind of broad news if, you're, if you are religiously dedicated ESPN, you know, like I am, sports center. But Matt Teo got, got, got hooked by someone who was doing crayfishing. And partly, even his best friends might have been part of that whole hoax. But, but crayfishing, by the Urban Dictionary, is defined this way. It's someone who pretends to be someone they are not. Now, that happens in a lot of ways. But, but this is a person who pretends to be someone they are not, but they do it online. And they do it online to create a false identity to create a deceptive online romance. And the point I'm making here in the context of Genesis chapter 28, how to get crayfishing out of Genesis chapter 28, is there's all kinds of ways people can have their lives messed up in relationship if they're not careful. They did, they, I saw an expert of the MTV crayfish show, and there was a person who had had a relationship for, for four years. Cat, did I say crayfish? Catfish. I'm just saying if you're listening, that's all the reason I said that. I knew I was going to mess that word up. Okay. Uh, and, and catfishing is that uh, there was a, a woman in another state had hooked up with a, a woman in, uh, in, a, in a two or three states down the road, and they had developed an online relationship. And she was convinced that the person who had in contact her online was an anesthesiologist, had a great job. They were making plans to, to uh, formalize a relationship in marriage and and the group from MTV uh, about catfishing came by and said, well, let me, let me bring you and meet this person. And so they traveled to that state, knocked on the door, and found out that the man that she w- thought she was in love in- with, who was an anesthesiologist, was not a man but a woman. And, and it wasn't that she was trying to, you know, do something devious. She had something in her own life that was missing and wanted a relationship across the line and it met a need for her as well 
but it crushed the woman once she found out that what she thought was happening was not happening. It's interesting in, in looking at what's happening culturally is that one statistic I read this week is there are 54 million single um, people of marital age in, in America today. Out of that 54 million, it says that 40 million of them have had some kind of uh, contact with online dating. There was just nothing wrong with online dating. I mean, for some of it, I guess it says 17 million of them have actually led to a marriage relationship. But in a culture now where a lot of times relationships are first connected in a not face-to-face experience, there's much danger there of what could be happening that's deceptive. And before people venture out in discovering maybe the, the life partner for their life, I guess that's redundant, life partner for your life, your life partner, is you better decide who you are and who the kind of person you want to hook up with that's going to fill the emptiness in your heart and soul. And, and what Isaac said to Jacob, you need to understand the most important thing about getting married is not when you get married or if you get married, but who you get married to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul writes this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? So Jacob had to move 400 miles away to make sure that he was following God's plan for his life and not his own. There was a New York Times article just recently, uh, the, the end of courtship, the death of dating. And, and at least in New York, the popular word there is that you, you don't get a phone call and be asked out for a romantic dinner at some bistro. But you get some text message. You get something on Facebook. You get some kind of experience just hanging out with people. And maybe it might lead to a relationship. Who you marry is much more important than when or if you marry. And and making sure you know who you're connected to. But it's interesting in this story, they had two two sons, Isaac and Rebekah, and and Esau's watching all this. He's watching as Isaac gives, his father gives the the challenge to go and find a a woman of faith. And, And so he listens in. Let's jump down now to... Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 6. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and, and sent him away to Padanaram to take himself a wife from there. And then as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughter of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his father and had gone to Padanaram. And Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. And you could also say it also his mother, Rebekah. Look back at Genesis chapter 27, verse 46. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Jumping over to verse chapter 26. When Esau was 40 years old, he 
He took his wives Judith, the daughters of Barry, the Hittite, and Basemith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah. Es- Esau might have been a, a, a little slow, but he was not totally stupid. You know? he, he realized that the wives that he took did not please Isaac and Rebekah, his mom and his dad. And it was interesting, see, he, he should have picked this up already as far as what he should have done. Because he knew the story of how Isaac got connected to Rebekah. Because Isaac did the same thing. He went a great distance to make sure he found a woman of faith. And he could also count how many wives did Isaac have. He had one. And, and so Esau made a bad choice twice. He took two wives and both of them did, were not people of faith. And so he now decides, I'm going to fix this. And, and so what does he do? Back to Isaac, uh, Genesis chapter 28. It says uh, in verse 9, So Esau went to Ishmael and took Malatha, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajeth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. C- can I submit this to you? It's never right to do wrong to make a right. And see, this is what Esau thought. Okay, I messed up, so let me fix it. But to fix it, he had to do wrong. It was already wrong to have two wives, so he added a third wife. Because he thought maybe if he took a wife from Ishmael, who had at least a background of potential faith, that this would fix it. It's never right to do wrong to do right. Or to put it this way, as far as your outline, you can make a difficult situation worse. Can we say amen to that? Anybody's ever done that? Uh, you know, I've taken some things that are really bad, and I made them a lot worse, all right? And, and, and we, we never stop and think, or we very seldom stop and think, now, if I do this, is this, is this going to mess it up even more? Now, I, I want to speak in, into those lives that have a, a marriage in which it is unequally yoked at the, to, at the moment, and we're praying it doesn't remain that way. God wants you to be faithful to the spouse you have now. It doesn't mean that the spouse you have is unlivable with. It doesn't mean that the spouse you have does not love you deeply. It does not mean the spouse you have doesn't provide for you. It doesn't mean that the the spouse you have is of, of immeasurable worth. They are created in God's image. Jesus did die for them. They might be people of great respect, and you ought to honor them. But what happens often is sometimes that we want to make a, a situation that might be difficult. But when we do that, it, it will make it much, much worse. In First Corinthians chapter 7, it says this. But to the rest, I, not the Lord. And basically, that was Paul is saying the Lord hadn't talked about that, hadn't given, had not given details. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and if she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified, set apart, made special by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified, made special by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean and now they are holy. Which simply says in very religious terms, you are in an environment now that you can now be that instrument by which you might lead that spouse to Christ or be there to lead those children to Christ. And we always say, so love the one you're with. 
care about them deeply. Do everything you can to be the example of, of, a, of, a, of a follower of Christ that loves and respects and honors the one you're with. See, see, God wants us to live our faith out where we live. And, and that's why we want, even in 2013, we want to do a lot of things to try to impact where you live. Your home, where you go to school, where you work, your neighborhood. Because that's, that's where people see if what you believe is really real. And so as we see Jacob moving on to another stage of life, and I'm saying another stage of life, it's not always the next stage of life for everybody. But, but God is, is speaking very clearly. It's, it's, it's who you marry. That's, it's much more important than when and if you marry. And it's, it's very important you understand you can make a difficult situation worse because it's never right to do wrong, to try to make something right. You know, it's interesting if you look at this from, a, from the context is that Esau married his uh, first two wives when he was 40. And does anybody know how, how old that would make Jacob? 40, because they were twins, all right? He was 40. So we're wondering right now, when, when is this journey going on? We're not talking a person who is a teenager or even in their 20s and, and now 20s are now considered 30s in our culture. Have you, have you heard that sociological statement? Uh, he is past 40. So we never know what God's future for us. I mean, some say he's getting closer to his 70s when he's going to make that plunge into having a, a life partner. And, and, and we know in terms of looking at the two individuals, Esau and um, Jacob, Esau was kind of a daddy's boy, and that would then make Jacob a what? Mama's boy. And he has been an inside kind of guy all of his life. And, and now he is, he is sent on a camping trip. How many people are, like to camp in a tent? Kind of like uh, rough it out there. We got a few hands out there. How many people like the Ritz, you know, you know the Ritz going to the Ritz? The, you, know, all those, you know, I want to be in a nice swanky hotel. Forget all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, he was probably that, that person who ra- you guys raised hands at the end. He, he liked being indoors. Okay? He, and now he's being sent on a camping trip. And he said, I don't do camping. You know, I don't do this. And he's now off on his own. And when you're off on your own, and maybe you have a heritage of faith, uh, but all of a sudden now when you're alone, you're wondering, well, was that the faith of my fathers? Was that the faith of my mother? Was that the faith of my family? Or is this my faith? And he was not a particular hunter. And yet there wasn't a uh, convenience store on every block or every rock that he went to. You know, how, how was he going to feed himself? Maybe he had a few things on his camel, but uh, this is going to be an extended trip. This is not an overnight uh, journey to the place where he would try to discover his, his wife. And, and what does God do when we're all alone? He wants to reveal himself to us. In the quietness of what's going on, he says, okay, now be still and know that I am I am God. Well, we're going to see an amazing experience that is probably not duplicated too often, but an experience that, that Jacob has as he's on this journey. Look at verse 10. 
Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Now, I was thinking about that. You know, if I were out, when I'm out camping and, I'm, and I've done the rough camping, you know, backpack and stuff like that, I usually do not sleep with a rock underneath my head. My, my guess is he put something, what? On the rock, all right? So there was, he probably covered the rock, but he found a rock to sleep, so his head was elevated a little bit. And then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So what do we have here? We have God revealing himself in a dream to Jacob, assuring himself that when he was on his own, he was not, what, alone. That God was with him. As we looked at last week, God is now here. Now, he experienced God being now here when he was with his, with his dad, Isaac, and with his mom, Rebecca. But now he was all alone. Is God still going to show up? And so God miraculously reveals to himself in a dream. And it is a dream of all dreams. He sees God up in the heavens. And there is this ladder. You could probably translate a stairway, kind of a stairway to heaven. Actually, they, they believe this is a broader term than simply a ladder. And as he sees there, there's angels coming down and going up. Angels coming down and going up. Angels coming down and going up. And God meets them there. And when he meets him there, he wants him to understand that there is a way to him. And it's, it, it's, a, it, it's a path, it's a direction that God provides. And, and when we go through life trying to struggle, how can I meet God? We've missed it. It's not how can we meet God, how can we meet the God who comes to meet us? And that's the uniqueness of Christianity. It's not us struggling to find God. It's us understanding that God is coming to meet us. Now, it's interesting in terms of this whole story, and we're going to see it just in a moment, that, that God reveals the, the understanding of this particular um, experience. But before that, let, let me read verses 13 through, through uh, 15, and then we'll dissect this just really briefly. And behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the, the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. In case you quite understand how to interpret this, this is God bringing this to you. And also your descendants shall be as dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And again, that's the, the assurance of God's presence. And I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I have spoken to you. It's one thing to God reveal himself in some miraculous way, but if we don't have some understanding of what that means, we are still lost. And that's why God, in the most demonstrative way, communicated himself to us by sending his son to this earth so we can know him fully. But as he reveals himself to the dream, he reveals that this is the God of this universe that revealed himself to Abraham and to Isaac, gave them promises, and I'm giving these promises to you, and I will be with you. I'm sending you away. You have no ability to have children. You don't have a wife, but your seed is going to be multiplied, and you'll be brought back to this land just as I promised to your forefathers. But what's the takeaway from this? Let me put it this way. You can climb many ladders for success, but only one ladder will get you to heaven. There have been many prosperous people in Abraham's time and in Isaac's time 
and in Jacob's time. And some of them were not connected to the living God. There are many ladders to success. But let's be very, very clear. There's only one ladder that is going to get you to heaven. Now, there are some takeaways from this as well. Uh, one is, I just want to be, throw this out for, for free here. But be careful about dreams. Uh, God can reveal himself to us in any way that he ch- so chooses to use. But I would say he seldom reveals himself to dreams. And if he does, you need to be careful. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says this. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder comes to pass of what he spoke to. In other words, let's say a person reveals, gets some kind of experience, and they are able to have that miraculously come to pass. Still be careful. Let us go after other gods, and they give a message which, of which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Which simply says this. When someone speaks of being able to do the miraculous, it's basically a one-and-done experience. If they mess up once, they are a false prophet. And again, we evaluate what they say, even after they do something miraculous, by what are they pointing to? Are they pointing to the truth about God, or are they pointing you away from the truth about God? But secondly, angels are messengers and ministers. Here we have here the experience in this dream where God reveals himself, the stairway there, and we have these creatures called angels uh, ascending and descending. Well, what are angels? In Hebrews 1, 13, 14, it says this, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? And they are, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Can I give you a, a less religious term than minister? What do angels do? Uh, they help. They are God's helpers. You wonder how God does everything? Well, he can do everything, anything he wants, any way he wants. But one of the ways he does what he wants is he sends his created beings, which are angels, that have spirit bodies that we cannot see unless God chooses to reveal them to us. And they are able to help us in a, in a myriad of ways. And in your life group study this week, I gave you, I think, 12 passages that direct you to some truths about angels in the scriptures. In the passage that's in your outline this morning, Luke chapter 16, verse 22, it says that when we die, you know, when you remember Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty, you know, how do we get to heaven? Well, it says in Luke chapter 16, verse 22, that that when uh, Lazarus was brought up to heaven, uh, the angels escorted him there. Uh, Some people wonder, do we have a guardian angel? Uh, It's probable that we do. And you could probably also say we have guardian angels, plural. Because the Bible says there are innumerable angels. How much is innumerable? (laughs) I have no idea. You can't number them. There are so many resources at God's hands to minister, to be helpers for God's program. And and so Jacob is being blown away as as God's hand is unfolded to him and what he does. But I want you to be very clear. What does the latter represent? And when we look at the Old Testament, it's always to to understand how God is fully revealed in the New Testament. In John chapter 1, verse 50 and 51, it says this. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. He's talking to Nathanael. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, 
Hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon who? The Son of Man. You know what that picture where you had God, the Father up in the heavens, and this ladder or stairway descending to earth and angels and descending? You know who that ladder is? This is, this is the Sunday school answer for every child in every class. The answer is who? Jesus. Remember how Jesus was saying, you know, Jesus would often use figures of speech to speak of who he is. I am the bread of life. Does that mean he's wonder bread? Of course not. You know, I'm shepherd. I'm on the shepherd. Does that mean he has a staff and he's walking around herding sheep? He says, I am the door. Does that mean he he's, you know, he's a door like that one to my right. Uh, here it says he is the ladder, kind of like I am the way, the truth and life. He is the path. He's the way he is the ladder. And, and again, that's so powerful for us to, to reflect on because the message of the Bible is revealing who God is and how we can connect to him and how we connect him is the way that he is thrown down from heaven to us so that we might reach out to him. And of course, the question for each one of us here this morning, wh- whose ladder are you on? H- how are you trying to connect with God? Is it through some spiritual formula? Is it through some personal effort? Is it to somehow make yourself good enough for God to accept you? Is it to somehow rectify all the wrongs that you have done in the past? Sometimes we think that, you know, that, that we've got to clean up our life before God would accept us. You can't clean up your life enough. You come to God to have your life cleaned up. And that's true for all of us. The only way for us to connect with God is to, to take his way. And the ladder for, for, for Jacob was the ladder that God provided, and the ladder for us is the ladder that God provides, and the ladder is Jesus. What do you do when you're on your own? Do you make sure you're going to make the right choice for the, the right life partner if that's God's will for you? You've you got to make that conviction before you're in the heat of the moment. Are you convinced that when, when you're in a bad situation, a difficult situation, you won't try to make up your solution, but you follow God's solution? That you'd be faithful to the relationships you have? Do you recognize that as we have all kinds of pursuits in this life, are we going to go God's way first? Make sure we're on his ladder before we climb any other ladder that we have opportunities to, to climb in life? The part that we don't really have time to, to deal with too much this morning, but I'll just summarize is, is after, after Jacob experiences when he's out on his own, there's got to be a response. One is, again, on the portion we read, is the promises of God help you the most when you know them. One of the promises that we've already read in, in that section, in Genesis chapter 28, verses 13 through 15, is that, that, that God told Jacob, I'm going to be with you. Just like I was with Abraham and Isaac. And that's what Hebrews 13.5 says. I will never leave you or forsake you. But in verses 16 through 22, as, as Jacob experiences all of this, his response was, since you have been good to me. And, and there's, a, there's a debate here of whether he's trying to make a bargain with God or whether, whether he is just... Reflecting on God's goodness to him. Because you've been so good to me. 
then for the rest of my life, I want to continually give to you. And he uses the language of the tithe, the tenth. Everything that I have from this day on, as you continue to be with me, I will give to you. And isn't that really the, the spiritual formula for us? As, as God is good to us, we respond to him. If since God has been good to you, then cheerfully give back to him. There are times when, when I talk with people, I said, if you don't think <laughs> that the God of the Bible, if you don't think that Jesus, who died on the cross for you and rose again, if you don't think Jesus has what's missing in your life, then don't believe in him. But if you look at how he's impacted other people's lives, as you look at uniquely who he is and how he's revealed himself, as you look at the promises that, that he has given to those who, who come to him and trust in him, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If you come to me, I'll give you not only eternal life, but abundant life. If that be true, what is keeping you from taking that step of giving your life fully and completely to him? The reason we give to God is not because God is poor. It just is a reflection of, of our gratitude for what he's done for us. We give our lives to him first, and then we give our service and our willingness to to be part of his kingdom work. But it all begins with encountering him like, like a man who is all on his own in a wilderness a journey. And God reveals himself to him. And then he has to decide, is this the faith of my fathers or is this someone I can trust in? We all make the choice. Let's pray. Father, wherever we are this morning on our spiritual journey. I, I pray that we might recognize that if you've been good in the past, you'll, you'll continue to be good for us in the future. doesn't mean there won't be trials, won't be challenges, won't be heartaches and pains, but that, that we can trust that whether it be good or bad, that you'll use it for good. And if we've never made that first step, Father, it, it's, it's, it's our choice. We're on our own here. Is what has been said about Jesus, is it true or is it some great hoax, <laughs> some, some spiritual catfishing where a person took on a false identity to develop some kind of relationship with millions of people and all, all of it is a great hoax. But if it's true, <laughs> might we surrender our lives to the one who, who loves us more than anyone else in this universe, and submit our lives to him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.